If you're a bread maker, this episode's for you. We welcome back the fabulous Ellie from Ellie's Everyday to the podcast to talk about the heart of bread, its raw material, grains and flour. During this episode, you'll hear Ellie's wisdom on sourcing grains and flour for bread, grinding grains into flour at home, including why you would want to do it and how Ellie grinds hers, the vital difference between the two ways flours are produced, stone grinding and roller milling, why and how Ellie freezes her grains and what you must remember when defrosting them, how to get the best possible flour even when you can't afford a home mill, and Ellie talks us through her whole grain process from choosing and buying through to mixing the dough. Ellie has two hugely popular YouTube channels and has helped thousands of people with making whole grain sourdough. We're so grateful to her for bringing us her wisdom. Welcome to the Ancestral Kitchen podcast with Alison, a European town dweller in central Italy, and Andrea, living on a newly created family farm in northwest Washington State, USA. Pull up a chair at the table and join us as we talk about eating, cooking and living with ancient ancestral food wisdom in a modern world kitchen. Hello, Andrea. Hello, Alison. How are you? I'm good. And hello to our guest, Ellie. Hello. How are you two? Hello. <laughs> We're good. Three different time zones. It's, oh my it's the middle of the night for me morning-wise and the middle of the night for Andrea evening-wise. And we've got Ellie somewhere in the middle. Yeah, two o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Perfect. Nice. Exactly. I'm the lucky one. We are so excited. <laughs> you are. <laughs> <laughs> We are so excited to have Ellie back. Ellie is, if you don't know, the creator of Ellie's Everyday. She's got two YouTube channels. One's on sourdough bread. The other one's on soap making. She is practical, no-nonsense, at-home sourdough, who's brilliant and who has inspired thousands with all of her videos. Go and check out her channel. There are tons of them. Mm, thank you. She is a wealth of knowledge. We've, we've had her on here before. We've had you on here before, haven't we, yes, Ellie? Yes, um, yes. It was back in July 2021. You can check it out. Wow. It's episode number 10. Um, quite a while ago. Yeah. It's a really this good one This time, though, oh, it was. That was a general kind of sourdough chit-chat. <laughs> this time, we're focusing on the raw material. So the grains and the flour, and in particular, home milling, which, Ellie, you do for all of your breads. I do, yes. So before we... Before we jump into talking mm -hmm. to you, I just want to say thank you to three new patrons who are supporting the podcast. You keep us going, literally. Thank you ever so much, <laughs> Alex Miller, Jonna Sutton, and Monica Enfield. It's wonderful. Yeah. Jonna's come on at the companionship level, so she'll get access to lots of goodies, including our first live in-person session, which is coming Excited. up very soon. Yeah. So thank you. Okay. 
over to Ellie. So our first question, Ellie, I think we probably asked you this in our last interview as well. Yes. What did you last eat? <laughs> well, I last ate, it was lunch. It's now 2pm. So I had some lunch and mm. I had some lentils. I was thinking of you because I know you love your lentils too, Alison. Mm -hmm. I had a pretty simple lunch. I made up some, cooked up some lentils this morning just with some um, onion and garlic and a bay leaf and a carrot and some celery. It's just something we we have as a pretty regular, simple thing. And I just had that with um, some toast with some avocado on it. That was my lunch. Oh, what toast? Oh, toast, what toast? Well, it was a dough that I made. Uh, it was a bread that came out of a dough that I made on the weekend and half of it went to pizza and some of it went to bread. I think it was half spelt, half wheat. I think, pretty sure. Oh, yeah, just nice. a basic okay. sourdough. Mm, sounds good. Yeah. And do you get particular lentils that you like? Because there are lots of different types yes, of lentils. Yes, there are. I have tried lots and lots of different lentils in my life. I love Indian cooking and, you know, dal is a big thing that <laughs> I've been a big fan of for a long time. But mm. um, these days I'm fairly simple with my lentils. I really love whole red lentils. So, you know, the the split red lentils that a lot of people use, the, the yeah. kind of orangey, pinky coloured ones. Well, I buy them mm -hmm. in the whole form. They're brown on the outside and they cook up just the same as, as regular brown or green lentils. And I, mm -hmm. the reason why I use them is that um, the farm that I get my wheat and a lot of some of my other grains from, um, they also grow lentils. So I buy them from them because I know where they come from. And it's a really good mm -hmm. farm that looks after the soil and I want to support them. So, yeah, those are my main lentils these days. I still sometimes get other lentils from different places um, just depending on who's growing what and what I can get where and, yeah, you know what it's like. You're mm -hmm. sort of always on the lookout for things, but mainly the mm -hmm. red lentils are the main ones we use. It's wonderful to hear that you're able to get them from the same place yeah. that you get your grains yeah. Yeah. And, and you know the stewardship that, they're, Absolutely. that they've got around the land. Yeah. That must feel good. And you probably know, you know, there's really good reason for that too in terms of soil health because lentils are yeah. a nitrogen-fixing crop, so they yeah. rotate all of their fields between their grains and their lentils and they graze sheep. And so it's all part of the part of the, the balance of, of keeping it all healthy. So, yeah, and... The what's, the, what's the farm called? Let's just give them a shout yeah, out. I don't know how many yeah. people might be near them, but they sound wonderful. Uh, yeah, I'm yet to meet them. I'm actually travelling down there next week in, on, the, on the weekend, which I'm so uh -huh. excited about. Um, their, names, their names are Steve and Tanya Walter, and the farm or the business is mm. called Burrum Biodynamics, B-U-R-R-U-M, and they're a mm -hmm. Demeter-certified biodynamic farm in northwest Victoria, which is right you know, in the southern part of Australia, which is quite a fair way south from me. Um, but mm. they are one of a number of farms in this country who are really um, taking seriously looking after the land and they don't use any um, chemicals or anything. So it's, a, it's organic farming. They're not certified organic. organic. They, mm -hmm. they use the biodynamic principles and follow all that methodology and, yeah, Thank they you. produce uh, barley, oats, spelt, rye, wheat, lentils. Wow. Yeah, lots of different things. So 
going to be wonderful yeah. to go and see them. I know. And, and, yeah. and see some of the crops. Yeah, it'll be great. Incredible. It'll be great. Yeah. You have They're, to let us know how that goes. Yeah, they seem like really lovely people. Their um, handle on Instagram is um, Biodynamics, I think. And, yeah, they post okay. pretty regularly. They, they have a beautiful Kelpie dog called uh, Barney <laughs> who often gets on their post with the rainfall report. You see little <laughs> Barney on there. So, yeah, they just they seem like really nice people and they're doing good things. So Wonderful. Definitely support them so if you, you can in Australia. Do you get all of your grains from them or not? Um, at the moment, I think I do. No, not all, actually. Um, I know that one of the questions that you had on your list was, you know, what grains do I, do I use? Mm. And I guess I have a few core ones that I use for my, regularly in my bread making, but I have a whole lot of others like millet and, you know, non-gluten, non-typical bread-making grains that I use as well that come from different places. But most of my bread-making mm. grains do come from that farm at the moment. Depends, like I said, on who's growing what. I get most of my grains through um, kind of a co-op, not-for-profit enterprise here in Brisbane who actually travel around and, and build relationships and source um, produce, pantry produce from farms all over the country who are doing the right thing by the land and by the people that work with them and, and by everybody. So, yeah, I tend to get whatever they have available. I really trust their uh, assessment yeah. process of how they source things. So, yeah, sometimes they have different things available from other farms. Like my brown, I get brown rice from a farm in northern New South Wales, which is a lot closer to us, and it's all rain-fed brown rice so it's a um, particular variety that's suited to this climate doesn't require any irrigation um so yeah different things come from different places but at the moment yeah a lot of my bread grains come from Burham farm I think it's it's lovely to hear you know that in your corner of the world there is someone doing something really quite special and mm. it it reassures me that you know wherever we are it is possible to do some digging and find someone who is doing something, you know, really, um, really sound. And that, that makes me feel happy about what you're doing. Yeah, That's nice. absolutely. And I have so to tell it, tell us. Yeah, oh, I was just going to say, on. and I have to thank you too for, I mean, I, it's always been a part of my awareness, but I think, you know, after being introduced to what you two are doing in your podcast and you in particular, Alison and, and talking with you um, has really mm. raised my awareness even more about that and I'm putting more effort into that than I once would have probably. So thank you for that. You know, Unfortunately, that's really... you, can't, you can't talk to me without me talking about that. <laughs> no, but it's, it's great and it's important and it, I think it's what you two are doing is, is really helpful and you're giving people more of a vocabulary to talk, to, talk about it with other people. You know, I'm a lot more confident to discuss these kinds of things with family members of mine who might not have any exposure to it or understanding of it and friends and, um, yeah, it all helps. The more we can talk about it and kind of work it out as we go along, the better we all are, I think. So thank mm, you. I agree. Mm. Okay, so let's move on to, a, to an actual question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> tell, us, tell us why you grind your own grains, because that's what we're going to be talking about for a lot of the podcast today, to make bread, and what are the benefits of grinding your own grains? Yeah, okay. Um, 
I think when I pondered this question, and I probably shouldn't have pondered it as much as I did, but the more I did, the more I realised how rich the response really is. And because of that, I'll sort of try and keep it brief, but it's a bit multifaceted. And I think the first thing that popped into my head was freshness and the health benefits of really having fresh milled grain. So um, like lots of other, you know, fresh food products, as soon as you um, cut something open or you grind it or you, you know, bash it up in some way, you expose the inner parts of it inside the grain to oxygen and, you know, grains have... um, whole grains have different parts and the oily part of the grain, which is the germ, which is like the embryo of the seed, that's um, that contains natural, you know, it, as I said, it's oily, it's fatty. So once that's ground, um, it does start to begin to oxidise as all fats and oils do, particularly seed or, you know, grain-based type plant-based sort of oils. Mm-hmm. Um so when you're grinding your own grain fresh, then you really can tell the difference in terms of how it smells and freshly milled grain has a real fresh aroma to it. You can really smell the oils and the bran and all the different parts of it. It it just actually smells like, oh, well, it smells like what you would imagine whole grains to smell like on the inside if you could just mm. crack them open fresh. It has a really distinct kind of nutty aroma obviously depending on what grain it is but yeah freshness is a really big part of it um gosh it's a really big answer I think um aside Mm. from all of the sort of detailed things about what happens to grains when you store them or or when you compared to when you mill them fresh the other thing I think that's really important to me, which I hadn't really thought of until I pondered this question, was that for me it's really fun as well. There's actually a lot of joy in it. I really like being able to decide what type of bread I'm going to make, pull out my grains out of my cupboard and I can see them all. I feel like I'm closer to I'm a bit more connected to what's actually happening on the farm because I'm literally looking at the seed Mm -hmm. that they've produced for me to mill into flour to make my bread with so it's Mm -hmm. it's kind of more satisfying in that way and being able to mix and match and do different things obviously you can still do that with flour but um whole grains tend to store a lot better um they store they live you can store them for a lot longer. So it's easier to have a bit more of a variety of grains if you want to than it is to have a variety of flowers, I find anyway, depending on what storage capacity you have. Um, but, yeah, it's it's really fun and it's a little adventure and it's very um, satisfying in a sensory kind of a way just with all of the aromas and the, the flavours that you get from freshly milled grains. I guess it's similar. It's beautiful. I was thinking, trying to think of analogies and I think in the very first episode that I recorded with you about the sourdough, I was talking about, mm. uh, I gave some analogy about, you know, an apple when you cut an apple and you leave it on the bench, it's going to go brown, it oxidises. Yeah. Well, whole grains are the same, like lots of fresh foods, as soon as you take them out of their, their outer skin, um, they're exposed to oxygen and they start to spoil, which is a natural decomposition process. 
Um, so, mm. you know, if, unless you're doing something else to process them to interrupt that or ferment, you know, let that go into a fermentation yeah, process, yeah. then, um, yeah, whole grains have that real beautiful freshness. What about the cost? Do you find it works out a lot cheaper or a little bit cheaper? Um, it's about the same for me. Yeah, it's about the same. I tend okay. to buy my grains in as bigger quantities as I can get them because the cost is lower. Um, but mm. yeah, it's about the same. I can I can buy okay. whole grains and whole grain flours for the same price, all from the same suppliers. They 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 sell virtually all of the um, grain cereal grain products in flour form and in grain form as well. So yeah, mm. I think it's mm. about the same. When did you start? milling your own flowers um it was 2018 I started to learn mm. a bit more about it I had been making my own bread for a really long time I think it's over well over 20 years now and I used to always buy my whole wheat flowers I was always into whole grain flour bread baking um and I loved the idea of being able to mill my own grain for bread making, but it just wasn't something that was really accessible here. I didn't know anywhere that was really selling grain at the time. And then um, somebody who I'll also be catching up when I go down south next week, Marie Tink, who is the the um, person behind the Sourdough Bakers Australia support group on Facebook, and she's an amazing baker mm. herself. She got a mill and I, it really piqued my interest and I thought, oh, gosh, <laughs> she's got one of these things and I started to learn more about it and I decided to get one. So it was, yeah, about four years ago now. Okay. So tell us about the mill that you, you use. Okay. The mill that I have, it's, it's called a, the model number, it's called a Mock Mill 200 and there's a whole range mm -hmm. of mills in the mock mill range and they're called mock mill because they're designed by a man called Wolfgang Mock who is a very highly regarded um, mill designer in Germany so it's a German company mm -hmm. and Wolfgang Mock has been designing mills for over 30 years and a lot of the popular um, bench top stone mills that people would have heard of like the Como and the um, I'm trying to think of them all. Hawass. There's a few different types of mills. They've all mm -hmm. been designed by him. But I guess the mock mill ah. is probably the latest iteration of that and he set it up as a separate company. And, okay. yeah, so it's a mock mill 200 and there's a whole lot of, yeah, like I said, there's different ones in the range, but the 200 is probably at the more humble end of the range. There are really hmm. premium mills that cost a lot more with lovely timber housing, but the one that I've got is it has like an eco-plastic type housing. Um, so it's, mm -hmm. yeah, more one of the more affordable ones, but they're all the same on the inside. And they're stone mills, so they have a little hopper at the top, just as you would expect like a, a bigger stone mill to have. It has a hopper at the top and it feeds the grains in through the middle in in between two stones that um, mm -hmm. the top one is stationary and the bottom one spins around, run by a motor, and the grain goes in, is going to kind of fed out in between the stones, and then the flour gets pushed out the side and it comes out the chute. So 
that's the, the milk. Okay. Yeah, but there's lots of different types. Okay. I know you've got a, a different type of milling set up, Alison, yeah. don't you? See, mine's a roller. Yeah. Mine's a roller mill. Yeah. And mine's a hand crank. Yes. It was much cheaper. Yes. And I didn't know how much I would want to use um, home milled grain. Mm. So I just kind of dipped my toe in the water. Yeah. I didn't have the budget to, to yeah. get a mock mill. Yeah. And so can you explain the difference between mine, which is a roller mill, and a stone mill, and what happens to the flowers? Okay. Well, to be honest with you, I don't know exactly how your little mill works. From what I've seen, Mm. I know that it can flake grains, like you can make rolled oats with it. So my understanding is that it you crank the grains, you push them between rollers and it basically squashes them. That's right. And then yeah. Rob, good old Rob, yeah. put, does it, yeah. puts them through repeatedly in order to break them down further and further and further. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Okay. So that's that's one type of, you know, hand mill and there's nothing wrong with that at all. I think that's a great little technology mm. if it works. I don't know how... Um, how many times Rob has to put it through to get flour and obviously there's all sorts he, of... He puts it through like maybe four or five times so it takes a lot yeah. longer than I've seen with your mock milk yeah. and also it's not as fine. Right. You know, we, we're we're going to um, keep you on the line after we've finished and video you showing um grinding the grain in the kitchen and, and making a dough. So that's yeah. going to be for patrons. Yes. So <laughs> if you're interested to go deeper into um, seeing how Ellie grinds her grains, then head over to the Patreon feed because there will be a video there. But I've seen the way your flour comes out of your meal and it's much, much finer than mine. And it takes like literally like a minute, whereas Rob's there doing it four or five times to get mine out and it's much thicker. That's right. Well, it's driven by a motor and and it's pushed through these very, very hard grindstones and it just shoots it out and it is very fine. It's... So it's a really nice, it's very similar to, to a store-bought whole grain stone milled flour from comparisons that, you know, that's what I always used to use, the stuff that was milled in a great big stone mill. Um, the mock mill mm. flour is pretty much the same fineness, um, depending on how you adjust I've it. Heard you, but, I've heard you talking about the difference between stone milling and roller yeah. milling, and this I think is relevant to anyone who's baking yeah. bread, whether they want to mill their own yeah. or whether they're buying the flour. Could you talk a little bit about why stone milling, even if it costs more if you're buying flour, is a, is a better choice or a more sensible yeah, choice? Yeah, definitely. So just to begin with, I'd like to make the distinction between roller milling in terms of your Italian roller mill flaker that you have mm. and mm. roller milling in terms of the industrial style roller milling because they're two very different things so when I think of roller milling I'm not thinking of your roller mill your benchtop mm-hmm. hand cranked thing I'm thinking of the big um, industrial machines that um, really revolutionized bread production flour production um, throughout the world in the late 1800s when they were invented so prior to that all flowers to my knowledge uh, were milled in stones and you know many countries have rich traditions of um, flour mills in towns and villages often by a stream often you know mills were run by um, either mm-hmm. by wind windmill or or water mills you know the water going past the stream would 
would power the mill to turn the yep. stones so people would go to the mill and get their flour. And with stone milling, basically the whole grain goes in the top and the whole grain gets crushed up and turned into flour. So most cereal grains have three parts to them. They have the outer bran, so the outer skin, which is the, the really fibrous part. They have the, the germ that I mentioned before, which is the embryo of the seed, and that's the really oily part. And then they have the bulk of the grain, which is usually around probably about 80%. That's the endosperm, and that's the really high-energy, starchy part. So with modern refined flours, most of those, depending on where you live, but say, for example, in Australia, every flour that I know of that I buy in a supermarket in Australia, not that I do, <laughs> but if I did, mm -hmm. if I walked in there, they would all be roller milled. And it's fairly obviously with, with refined flours, so you know, commonly like plain flour in Australia, bread flours are usually all roller milled. Any mm -hmm. really white refined flour are usually roller milled. And what roller milling, industrial roller milling does is it's very, very efficient. Uh, and I don't know exactly how the machines work, but they call them roller mills. And what they're able to do is very efficiently separate the parts of the grain. So they're able to separate the bran, they're able to separate the germ and separate the endosperm and grade all of those bits. And then what that leaves the miller with is um, all these different parts of flour products, I guess you could say, that they can then remix mm -hmm. and combine in specific ratios to uh, meet the need of whatever product they're trying to create or, or sell. So the reason why, for example, in Australia, and I know this is not the case in other countries, but in Australia you can only get refined roller milled flours on the supermarket shelf is because it's shelf stable. So all of the bran is taken out. They're able to separate the bran out, separate the oily germ part, where a lot of the nutrition is, by the way, um, and the starchy endosperm part it it spoils a lot um, less. It it lasts a lot longer because it doesn't have those the oily part in it. So mm -hmm. the um, the yeah, I guess that. Sorry, I lost my train of thought there. <laughs> the um, the that part of the, the 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 grain is much more shelf stable. So I guess roller milling mm -hmm. has its place, and if you're you know, a pastry chef or you're, you're wanting to make lovely big billowy white bread, um, which, you know, uh, there's no, um, no judgment from me about that. I think it really just depends on what you're trying to achieve and what your um, goals are for making the types of bread or bakery products that you want to make. Um, they, you, you need to have refined flours to make those because the, it's the, the bran and the germ in the grain, all those parts of the grain that make bread heavier. And it's not really appealing to a lot of people. You know, white, white bread is what people have often seen as the ideal, so that's what people go for. Um, yeah, it's a bit of a complex topic and there's lots of different kind of angles into it. Does that sort of answer the question? about the difference yeah 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 <clears throat> yeah it does 
Thousand. And then you you mentioned some earlier, but could you just list off the things that you put through your mill, like the different grains you use? Oh, yeah. Um, well, for my bread making, I tend to mostly bake with um, wheat. I use hard white wheat. I use a lot of spelt. I use a lot of rye and sometimes oats as well. But I also, you can mill all sorts of things in a benchtop stone mill. So anything that's not too oily. Obviously, some grains are quite oily. Um, oats, for example, have got about, I think they're about 7% fat. So they're a bit of an oily mm. grain. You can't mill oats too finely or they clog up the, the, um, the millstones a bit. But you can um, mill pretty much any kind of cereal grain, including chunky, including legumes and things like chickpeas and beans, all sorts of things. So anything that's dry and that's not too big that can actually go through the hopper, you can adjust the stones to to do a coarse grind. And um, some things that are big, like chickpeas or garbanzo beans, as you would call them probably in the States, Andrea, um, you can put them in first on a coarse grind and then run them through again to get a really fine flour, like the besan flour. Um, so mm-hmm. I mill all those kinds of things, even um, uh, for gluten-free sourdough baking, which I've been experimenting a bit with lately, um, as, as requested by some of my audience. Um, I've been mm-hmm. milling millet and brown rice and sorghum, buckwheat, those kinds of things. And I was going to say too, sometimes I am able to get whole mung beans, which mung beans are quite commonly used in some Indian-style dal recipes. And I find that the mock mill, uh, it doesn't split them neatly in half. It's not a splitter. It is kind of going to crush them and grind them a bit, but it does do a really nice coarse grind of a small mung bean, which is fairly... I don't know if you know what a mung bean looks like, but there's a fairly small little green bean and um, they it makes a kind of a, a chunky dal that you can then cook in a pot to make a, a stew or a, a soup with. So you do all sorts of things, really, anything that's not oily. So you can't put oily mm. seeds like linseeds or, um, you know, you couldn't put sunflower seeds or anything like that. In, in mm-hmm. a mock mill, it has to be like a, a dry grain that's got enough, does uh, fairly low amount of oil in it compared to those oily seeds and things. Okay, that's really useful. It's, it's nice to hear about legumes because I kind of don't think of putting legumes through a grain mill. Mm. It's, um, it's a world that I wouldn't have imagined until I've talked to you about doing yeah, it. Yeah, right. It's interesting, actually, the general manager of the mock mill company, he's an American man, but he's lived in Germany for a very long time, but I think he originates from Texas. Um, He is a passionate whole grain sourdough baker. And if you Mm -hmm. look him up on Instagram, if anybody's interested, his name is Paul LeBeau, and I think his account is called Paul LeBeau Germany. Paul is... Mm -hmm is absolutely passionate. He he calls them mock millables or millables. And he's he's just on this never ending quest to find all sorts of different things that he can run through his mill. And he often <laughs> he often uses it's great though because he's got this really amazing 
low waste approach. Like he will, you know, mm. find some berries and he'll ferment the berries or he'll skin the, you know, and he'll he'll get the skins off this or the waste off that and he'll ferment that and then he'll add that to his levain, you know, to create a new starter for his bread. He's really quite, Gosh. he does a lot of amazing fermentation. He's just absolutely passionate and so creative and he's a great ambassador for the for the for the brand you know for the company that he works for he really does um, sounds like our sort of man the talk. For sure. yeah yeah he's great definitely yeah. have a look because it's it will really open your your uh, mind to to what kinds of things you can make bread out of whether or not you're milling them yourself so I mean it might even give people yeah. ideas about things that you could use that you could run through a blender or a food processor. You know, it's not necessarily all about the milling, but yeah, you can you can do a lot of things with the. I mean, it's a. I guess it's just another type of food processing equipment, really, isn't it? That's just specifically designed yeah. for whole grains. How do you feel about our food world? Do you want to see change like we do? If so, head over to patreon.com forward slash ancestral kitchen podcast and help support us to get this work out as far and wide as we can. To say thank you, we've got a host of extra ancestral food material to share with you. You can connect with us more deeply via our Patreon-exclusive podcasts, our after-show chats, our dedicated forum and our ancestral food get-togethers. And there's a library of downloads that will support you in your own kitchen. By joining you'll be really helping us to continue making this podcast and to focus on having a bigger impact, reaching more people, making a greater difference. So we can move together towards the future food world we all want to see. We've got four levels of support to suit different pockets. Check out www.patreon.com forward slash ancestral kitchen podcast for all the details. Let's talk about your process because I've seen a video on, I think it was on your YouTube mm -hmm. um, channel, of your big freezer where you put your grains. And I want you to explain to people the sort of start to finish. So from buying the grain, how you store the berries, mm -hmm. how you grind them, how you, know, how you defrost them out of the freezer, how you grind them, and then how you put them in bread. Talk okay. us through that. Sure, yeah. So I buy my grains from my supplier here in Brisbane, uh, sovereign foods that I mentioned and I like I said before depending on what they are and how much we use of them but the grains like rice belt and wheat I, I try and buy in 20 kilo bags or at least 10 kilos so that's like mm. how many pounds is that um 10 pounds a lot yeah 50 pounds I don't know it's <laughs> two roughly two pounds to a kilo so mm. they're big bags <laughs> and um okay. I I buy them in that size because I can store them. I'm lucky to have the space to be able to do that. But what I do these days is when I get them home, I I only buy grains that I have the room for because I want to freezer treat them. I always do that. So all of my grains and even all my lentils, a lot of my legumes and everything just gets put straight into my freezer. I don't have a very large freezer, but I do have a dedicated little chest freezer I've had it for years I used to you know I used to make my bread in bulk and freeze some of my bread and I use it for all sorts of different things but mostly these days my that kind of grain produce goes in there 
Um, so I put it in the freezer and I leave it in there until I want to decant it into smaller containers that I then keep in my kitchen near my mill. Um, you don't have to do it that way, but I do it because I have the space and I don't need to free up space in that freezer for anything else usually. Um, and the reason why I put it in the freezer is that most cereal grain crops, especially ones that are grown without pesticides, um, you run the risk with all of them that they may have eggs, weevil eggs on them because they're just a common, just, weevils are a little uh, beetle. They're around the world. All, all cereal grains are subject to um, having some contact with weevils because that's just what they eat. They're a specialised little beetle and that's what they go for. Um, and they, they seek out cereal grains and they, they have these little, um, these little beetles have little long kind of prongy mouth bits on the, on the, in the front of them. They look like antenna, but that's actually their mouth. And they chew a little bit into the grain and they lay their eggs in the grain and cover that up. And on any grain that you buy from anywhere, unless it's heavily treated with pesticides, which hopefully we're not buying that kind of grain, um, there's mm -hmm. potential that you could get a weevil outbreak. If you leave your grains in warm, hot, um, moist conditions, like in high humid climates, especially like where I live, it's the subtropics. Our winters are quite dry, but our summers are really quite hot and humid. If you leave the grains out in in those conditions, eventually, if you left them long enough, you're probably likely to get some bugs hatching out of them at some point. So a way to get around that is to freezer treat your grains. Um, you don't need to leave your grains in the freezer forever, but it's a really good practice and it depends on what climate you live in. Obviously, it's really important for me in this climate. But um, you can just, if you buy grains in big bags, you can put them into smaller bags. So if you've just got a, a regular size fridge type freezer, you could put them in sm smaller bags and then just put them in the freezer for a week or so. And what that does is it kills the eggs. So once you've freezer treated your grain and brought them out of the freezer or you put them in the freezer and you leave them in there, then you'll be much less likely to have any issues with bugs on your grain. So something really weird happened yesterday, Ellie. It's like some synchronicity. Oh. <laughs> I've been away for a little while. I got my spelt grain, Ooh. my bag of spelt grain out of the cupboard because I want to make beer. Mm. And I just unrolled the top because it's in kind of like a, you know, a cardboard bag. Yes. Mm. And I got two bowls <laughs> out and I saw two little black things in the bowls. Oh. I was like, why? <laughs> and then I opened it up and I said to Rob, oh my gosh, I think there's something in here. And he sort of kind of looked, he said, yeah, there's loads and loads of these little beetles and there were weevils in there. So literally just yesterday, oh. I because I've left this bag of spell, oh, no. it was about two and a half <laughs> kilos in the cupboard when I was away. And of course it's warm yeah. here now because yeah. it was August. Yeah. And I got weevils in my spelt, so uh, I can testify, yes, it does happen. It does happen. <laughs> it does happen. And I think it's it's important. It's a great topic. I'm glad you asked about this. And I know we're only just at the beginning of my process, but the weevils are a really important reason why I do it that way and why I really encourage mm. 
anybody else who's buying grains and wants to store them for any length of time to freeze or treat them, even if you can find some space just to put break break your grains down into bags, yeah, you know, small or big enough that you can fit in your freezer and just one by one put them in for a week, take it out, put the next one in, leave it in for a week, take it out just to see that. That's my. That's what would help me yeah. because I don't have a big freezer exactly. like you. I have just a fridge and a freezer yep. together, yep. and I've got three drawers in my freezer, and I've got you know I've got meat in there, exactly. I've got frozen whey yeah. in there, I've got cooked breads in there, I've got loads of things in there, yep. and I buy my grain in five kilogram bags, yep. and so it would be hard for me, but I could possibly if I was organised, I could to count them into smaller, like one yeah, kilo bags yeah. and then rotate them in the freezer yep. to stop that. Does it affect the taste? No, not at all. Does it do anything? Not at all. Okay. So as long as they're sealed um, and mm. no moisture can get in or out, they will be exactly the same coming out as they are when they go in. You do have to be careful for condensation when you bring them out. And mm. so when I decant my I – d- I just honestly, I put my big – paper sacks my big sacks of grains straight into the freezer just in the bags ah, and okay. then when my containers in my in my kitchen get empty I take them over to the freezer and I just open the top of the bag I usually keep the bags just closed with pegs or clips or something and I just scoop the grains out quick put them into the the plastic containers or jars or whatever I'm using put the lid on and keep that lid on until the grain comes down to room temperature because if you've got mm. any humidity in the air, the difference between the temperature, the cold temperature of the frozen grain and the outside temperature will cause condensation on the surface of the container. So you want to keep mm. that closed or if it's a bag, just don't open it until everything warms up and you can wipe off any condensation on the outside. If you just scooped, if you just scooped your grain out of your freezer bag and put it into a bowl and left it at room temperature, especially at my place in summertime, it would be wet. It would just be wet with mm. condensation. So you don't want wet grain. You want them nice and dry. So just keep it all sealed up until it, the temperature comes down. Sorry, I keep saying yes. comes down. I mean comes up. <laughs> I've got that the wrong way around. Until the temperature comes um, up to room temperature. Yeah. 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 This, this would fully kill the weevils right like you know say allison if she had frozen that and then she put it in the cupboard and then she left mm-hmm. and she was gone yeah they wouldn't have hatched well or whatever the they did. sad thing about having actual weevil beetles is that they've been in your grain for quite a while in lava and then lava stage and then they've pupated and become the beetles and then they've hatched mm. out of your grain how weevils work is they don't get into usually unless you live on a farm next to a grain silo and you get very unlucky um, a lot of people think they need to protect their grain from bugs from the outside but it's actually the eggs on the grain itself so you're probably more likely bringing in the potential for weevils with the grain that you already have mm. so mm. your allison in your case your grain just like any other grain probably had some weevil eggs on it because they're around, you know, mm. in farms that grow grains, they would have weevils. They're just a natural part of that ecology. Um, 
some of your grains would have had eggs and your grain would have been stored, even though it was sealed, um, those eggs in the right temperature conditions so in your hot summer weather that you've been having lately mm. and high humidity helps I know you don't have really high humidity there but the heat is probably enough mm. um, what happens is that those eggs will eventually hatch into lava and the lava are in the grain they burrow into the grain and they consume the endosperm the starchy high energy part of the grain and as they grow, and then when they, once they become nice, mature little weevils, they burrow their way out, and you end up with this hollow grain and live, <laughs> love, live um, mm. adult weevils that have hatched in your cupboard in your pantry. So that would have all been in the grain, and I wouldn't try and consume any of that grain because you might have... There might be more of it that, yeah, yeah, it's the best thing to do. The other thing that can be a real issue is if you've got some grain that has um, be, become infested with weevils and if that's not sealed properly, like if you keep, I learnt this the hard way, if you keep things in your cupboard, you know, in a bag with a peg on the top um, rather than a, mm. an airtight hard sealed container, if weevils hatch in your grain, they can crawl out of that bag and then mm. they get into your whatever else is next to them. They love mm. things like pasta and, you know, any other grains or any other cereal grain type product. Pasta is probably the classic example. They will love that too. They'll get into that. And then you've got to clean out your whole cupboard and, yeah, get rid of them. So we had to, we checked the whole cupboard, uh-huh. opened up all of the other grains. They were quite well sealed, yeah. but we opened them up anyway and we checked the bags to make sure there were no kind okay. of holes in the bags or anything. And everything else looked okay. That's good. Um, if, I free, if I freeze them mm-hmm. on that rotation system and then I've got a bag that's been in the freezer, yep. I'm, I'm safe to leave it in the cupboard after that yeah. because the eggs will be dead. They won't come back to life. As far as I know, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah all of the okay. information that I've been able to research tells me that uh, I think 72 hours in the freezer uh, will kill the eggs. It has to be obviously freezing temperature. Like my freezer's around about 20, minus 20 um, centigrade. Mm. I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it has to be proper freezing temperatures. Yeah, they don't like the cold and if it's cold enough for long enough, they will freeze. If you're putting them in for big bigger bags I would definitely leave them in longer than 72 hours because it can take a few days for that cold frozen temperature to really permeate through the bag if you've got a big bag so I tend to err on the side of caution and leave them in as long as possible I think if you can do a week five to seven days and your bags aren't really massive big bags which they won't be then that should be fine is it worth freezing flour if we're buying flour, not grains? Mm, I think it is, yes, but probably for different reasons. You're not going to have any mm. issues with weevils hatching out of bags of flour unless the flour has become very compacted and and the weevils can hatch in there and they can kind of find a way to burrow in the flour because really they love grains. They're, they're designed to to attach to grains and burrow into them and, and have their life cycle in the actual grain. So flour is not so much of an issue. But in terms of um, storing flour in the freezer or the fridge, it's a great idea just to preserve the freshness 
unless you're using roller milled, more refined flowers that have that oily part removed, your flowers, if they're whole flowers, they will be more prone to spoilage and they will taste and smell and be a lot better if you um, extend the shelf life and freezing or refrigerating is a great way to do that. Okay, that's useful. Mm. And so going back to your berries, yes. you've taken them out of the freezer, you've put them in a container and sealed yes. that container yeah. and you've waited for them to defrost. And then do they go straight into your meal? Uh, yeah, well, I just put those containers into my cupboard. I've got a little cupboard just below my bench where I make my bread and they're just there ready for me to go whenever I want to mill them. So I don't mill any flour in advance at all. I just, when I want to make bread, I pull out my grain tubs and I go, oh, what am I going to make? <laughs> and I just choose which grains I want to use. And I pull the mill out and, well, the mill just sits on the bench. I just plug it in and throw the grain in and out comes the flour and I make my bread. So there's never any excess flour. I just mill on demand. So it's only the grains that are just in my cupboard in amounts that I can store because obviously I can't store a 20 kilo bag of spelt in my kitchen cupboard um so I've got all my different grains in there but um yeah it's just my system that kind of works for me if you had you know it depends on your kitchen setup and what size pantry you have you might be able to store larger amounts but uh, I find mm. that quite useful just to have my I think my containers are probably maybe five or six liters like they're fairly large I don't have to go to my freezer and fill them up very regularly probably once every month or so depending on what I'm using and how much of what things I'm using I, I use different grains all the time for different reasons so some of them I go through faster than others yeah okay how long do the grains last I mean how should I not keep them in the freezer for for that long or should I and if I haven't got the freezer space how mm. long can I leave them in my cupboard well, it depends on what you read. <laughs> I've read all sorts of different recommendations for grain storage, but I tend to think that if you've given them the freezer treatment and you've done your best to kill off any weevil eggs, if they are stored in reasonably cool, dry conditions, they will last for years. I think I saw something on some news report or something a couple of years ago where they found um, wheat grains from ancient Egypt from some some Gosh. tomb or somewhere in Egypt and they germinated it oh no yeah, wow. don't quote me on that I'd have to actually find the source but it's some That's some crazy. crazy story like that so you know there are seed banks around the world and we all know that depending on what seed it is, seeds can last a very, 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 very long time if they're stored properly. And I know there's that big seed bank, I think it's in Norway and it's under the ice where they, they it's like a worldwide seed bank and they actually collect seed from all different parts of the world and they store it in, under freezing conditions. And there's seeds that are in that seed bank that have been there for decades. So... I don't exactly know how long my wheat grain would last in a bucket after I'd freezer treat it, but I think based on my experience, I would 
wouldn't be surprised if I didn't have any issues for a couple of a few years. But I've heard people say much longer as well. I know people who say, you know, I saw somebody somewhere on a Facebook group or somebody somewhere recently where somebody um, made some bread, milled some wheat out of twenty-year-old wheat that somebody had given them that they oh had stored gosh. in a bucket. So it's it's a long time, just depending on. So that is completely different yeah. to pre-ground flour because exactly. the recommendations on that. Yeah. I think the manufacturer recommendations are like some of them say six months, some of them say a year, but other people who make bread mm. say probably less. Probably than that. less. So that's yeah. completely different. My old rule of thumb, because as I said before, I always bought pre-milled whole grain, stone ground flour. So I knew that it had all of those parts that could spoil in it. I always bought them mm. in flour form and I used to put them in the fridge whenever I had the space and I bought them from a bulk food supplier not too far from me. So I used to go fairly regularly and just buy a few kilos at a time so that I could get it as fresh as possible. And my my rule was about a month maximum. But depending on the season, I would let things uh, store things for longer in winter here because it's cooler and drier and mm. our summer season is terrible. Like I try and store so many things that probably most people just leave on the shelf. I try and get them in the freezer or in the fridge here in our summer um, just because of the humidity and the, and the high temps. Mm. So, yeah, unfortunately wow. there's no real hard and fast um, guidelines for that um everybody seems to have different ideas and but there's certainly a lot of people who have um reported having ex really really long shelf life of whole grains mm. and do you use your home ground flowers to refresh your starter and if you do which i'm guessing you do yeah i do <laughs> do you <laughs> do you grind just a tiny bit at a time to do that uh, no. Uh, so yes, I do use my freshly milled flour to feed my starter, but um, mm -hmm. there's two ways that I do it. Um, the public way, <laughs> so that I don't <laughs> confuse anybody when I make my YouTube videos, is I have two fairly small little, they're just like five, 500 mil containers, like a, about a pint size, just plastic containers where I, I fill them with whatever flour I'm using to feed my starter. I've got two starters at the moment because I've just been experimenting with some whole grain, gluten-free sourdough recipes. So I've got one at the moment has some brown rice flour that I milled and one has some whole wheat flour that I milled. So I, just for the sake of convenience, um, I pre-mill that. That's the only flour I do pre-mill, but I don't fill them up and I refresh that fairly regularly. So I probably have enough for maybe two or three weeks and then it will run out uh -huh. and then I'll just refresh those when I need to and I use those to feed my starter. But the way that I would do it if I wasn't trying to keep things <laughs> sort of a bit more straightforward is every time I mill flour to make my bread, I'll just mill a bit extra of whatever flour mm. I'm milling, I'll just mill a bit extra and use that to feed the starter. And that's the ultimate way to do it because then the starter is getting really fresh flour right. as well. However, if you're milling all sorts of different weird and wonderful grains, or including legumes or what have you, for your bread, then that's what you're going to get in your flour. Right. 
Although you could if you really wanted to, say if you felt you fed your starter with rye, if you really wanted to, you could get out a little bit of rye at the end and run that through. You you definitely could do that. I just, you know, there's just lots of ways to do things. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And do you keep those little 500 mil containers in the fridge? No, I don't. I probably okay. should, but I don't. But I don't. I don't actually fill them. They're, that's the size okay. of the container. But I probably only mill about a third, only a couple of cups full at a time, just enough for a couple of weeks of starter feeding. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's okay. I'm not too worried. My starters are really happy, so they seem to be okay with um, two week yeah. two week old <laughs> flour, considering yeah. that. Maybe they like it. Maybe they oh, catch some. I'm sure they yeast do. As it goes by. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I made my bread with all sorts of flour that had been sitting on supermarket shelves forever, and you know, fresh uh, whole grain um, flours from the health food shop that I don't know how long they sat in the bulk bins for. So anything that I'm doing here mm. is always going to be a lot fresher than what I used to do, and what I used to do worked really yeah, well true, too. So you know, it's okay. Just now, I remember that your main your main starter is called Boris, and I wonder if you've <laughs> called your your gluten free starter a different name. <laughs> oh gosh! Well, I was going to call her Natasha. <laughs> oh. I don't know. Somebody okay. no, Boris I, and Natasha. I haven't. No, it didn't really stick. I felt a bit silly about it. So <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I've moved beyond naming my starter. <laughs> oh, I'm going red. Oh. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, what I wanted to ask now is a budget question. Oh, yes. So the, the, there is a range of mock mills for different budgets, but they are quite pricey. Yes. What would you say to someone who can't quite stretch to a grain mill yet but wants the best possible flour for their bread at home? Mm, I would say find a supplier of as, you know, as locally sourced as possible grains find a mill near you find a co-op find somebody near you who is supplying freshly milled or stone you know stone milled whole grain flours if that's what you want to use and support them and buy your buy your flowers through them ask them where they come from ask them how old they are ask them how do they store them do they refrigerate them mm. how do they manage pests how do they improve their shelf life, ask them what their storage practices are and you'll soon get an idea of where you're able to get things from that, that um, you know, it's as fresh as possible. But just find the freshest flour that you can and store it in the best way that you can and that's a great way to do it. Okay, yeah. thank you. That's helpful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that is. Um, and tell us a little bit. I there. There can't be anybody on here that doesn't know about you yet, Ellie. Oh, <laughs> oh I don't think know we about that. you on every single episode. <laughs> but oh um, your YouTube is so awesome. So tell us a little bit about what you've been up to over there and where I'm always pointing people over there, but where should they start if they've never been to your channel before? Oh, okay. Um, thank you. I really just follow my nose with my YouTube channel. I don't have any grand designs with it. I really follow what the need is. So people email me or ask me questions to show me different things. And sometimes 
there's a big learning process for me behind that too. And I go, okay, yep, I'm prepared to take that on. So I'll have a go. And then if I can work something out that's helpful, then I'll share it. Um, lately, yeah. my latest example of that is I've been playing around with some gluten-free sourdough bakes and I've come up with a very simple, straightforward, accessible recipe for a gluten-free sourdough bread. Oh, I, I, love I don't personally love have any need to eat um, gluten-free bread, but I know a lot of people do or that's their choice for whatever reason. And it's something that people, I was getting lots and lots of requests over the years. So I thought, you know, I've dabbled in this over the years just for fun and it is fun. I do like playing around with different things like that. Um, so I decided to pursue that. So that's what my latest video is about. And the one before that, I thought, oh, well, I better do a how to do a gluten-free starter video. <laughs> so that's what I've been doing lately, just that <laughs> starter video. And um, it's, fu it's funny, the starter video that I did about gluten-free sourdough starters, I actually made a, a whole wheat and a brown rice starter side by side just to show people that there's no difference. There's no mm -hmm. difference in making a, wow, a brown rice sourdough it. starter compared to a wheat or a rye or whatever. You just use the same process. It's a simple fermentation process. So that was fun. That was really good. And from the feedback I've got, it was pretty helpful. And the, the, um, the first gluten-free recipe came out last week and, yeah, people have been sending me their photos and they've been doing really amazing oh, bakes. Good, so good. that's been going well. I'm so excited about it. Yeah. I got, it's been fun. I got my hands on a brown rice sourdough starter because I was like, I got to try this. I have so many yeah. people who want um, gluten-free yeah. sourdough yeah. or have asked if I can make some or help them oh. make it. And like you, I I haven't. So yeah. Yeah. I thought, well, I should learn. But then. Ellie's paving the way, so I'm just going to follow. Oh, and look, I have to say uh, there are so I, – I nearly – I thought about whether or not I even needed to do, to do it because there are already so many really good resources on gluten-free sourdough out there. There's mm. so many. Yeah, but we like you, so. Well, I, I just tried <laughs> to put my spin on it and really, you know, I spent a lot of time testing it. I think I made about 15 of these things. <laughs> And I use the same recipe. I tried to actually follow a, a very methodical process to really teach myself what matters and what doesn't. And I worked mm. out that the real trick with gluten-free sourdough, mm. as is with, with nearly all whole grain sourdough, by the way, is, is just the proofing. You've really got to underproof. Mm. If you if if it looks good and it's risen really high, you've probably well and truly gone too far. Mm. You've always you've You've oh, got to proof it like really die, small. Huh? Yeah, that was a huge learning curve for me. So, yeah, that's what I try and do. I just try and go where the need is and try and figure it out so that I can understand it and then try and make recipes that make sense, that don't have too much detail, that explain the things that really matter and really make a difference and mm -hmm. try and gloss over the rest <laughs> because... It's it's all the detail that overwhelms people, I think. Um, Absolutely. You are very effective at that. Oh, uh, thanks. Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's my mission. This is kind of yeah. just just help. I'm just trying to help people, really, and that's how it all started. Like it's all just I was telling somebody my whole story with it the other day. It all just started with teaching my friends how to make the bread and uh, one day I got enough people who asked me about it so I did a little class here at my house and everybody came and they all loved it and then 
my auntie said, oh, come and teach classes at my shop. So I did that and they all came and it just, it just kind of, and then I was like, whoa, 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 I'm working full time. It was too much. So I said, oh, I can't do classes anymore. Oh, but people kept emailing me. I was like, oh, I'll just put a video on YouTube. So I put a video on YouTube wow. and then it just, wow. oh, gosh, it just kept going. So I'm just still. Yeah, beautiful, organic yeah, development. Yeah, absolutely. That, and that's, and I haven't really changed my, there's no, there's no approach. My, that's just my approach is just people seem to yeah. want to, um, people keep asking me, so I just keep doing it. <laughs> And it's a pleasure for me. It's a great honour. So I go, yes, I'd love to. (laughs) Yeah, it's fun. How can people stay in contact with you? Tell us the the name of your YouTube channel and the other kind of mediums you're on. Okay. Oh, yes. And I forgot to answer the second part of that question. If people want to start, um, I've just rejigged all of the playlists on my YouTube channel. So my bread making channel Mm. is called Ellie's Everyday Whole Grain Sourdough and I all of my recipes on there are 100% whole grains. So it's really that niche, you know, if you really want to make whole grain breads, then that's what I'm doing there. So if you go to that YouTube channel, just on the, the home page there, you will see all of the playlists. I've put them all on the front page and it's hopefully it's fairly logical. Um, there's a section on sourdough starters, how to make one and how to maintain one. Um, whole wheat recipes, whole spelt recipes, whole rye recipes, gluten-free recipes, baking tips and techniques, things like that. So that's probably the best thing to do, just have a browse and see what you like. I've got um, also have a website, ellieseveryday.com, and the blog section there. Basically, whenever I put out a new recipe, I add it there. So most of my more recent Mm -hmm. recipes um, and and other topics. I've got things like, um, you know, five top tips for whole grain sourdough baking because it is the most challenging bread baking that you can do, I have to say. Mm-hmm. It's not easy to get really nice results with 100% whole grains. You know, refined flours do really make bread making easy. But, um, you know, not doing it because that part's easy, kind of really, it's so worth really it. loving it's that so challenge. Yeah. Yeah. And not yeah. many people are doing it. So I thought there's a real need for that because there's people, people mm. want to make this kind of bread. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, so many times that people tell me, oh, this, this is a good einkorn book or, or this is a great sourdough book. Yeah. And then when I look, it's all refined einkorn. It's yeah. white. Yeah. And it's right. completely different than what I'm working with. And completely. it works for yeah. me. Yeah, exactly. So you're right. There is a big need for that. And, you know, on my website, I've got, I do have a section under the sourdough part about storing whole grains. So all this stuff about weevils and the storage methods, I've covered all that there. So between my website and that Ellie's Everyday Whole Grain Sourdough YouTube channel, you'll find what you want but I'm happy for people to email me get in touch as well if they can't find something that they're looking for or um they just don't know where to start and need a bit of encouragement um I do a lot of that behind the scenes so feel free to get in touch as well wonderful thank you Andrea do you have more questions for Ellie I'll save them for the next one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Always have more questions. Oh gosh. Yeah. This is wonderful. Okay. I feel like I learned well, a lot. It's been 
really, really informative and educational and um, fun, Ellie. Thank you ever so much. Oh, thank you. Oh, thanks for having me. And thank you for all the good work you two are doing. It's, it's wonderful to be invited to be part of it again. Thank you. Oh, thank you, thank Ellie. Thank you. We are going to head over to um, the Patreon channel now mm. and um, I'm really excited to see us <laughs> milling some grains. So <laughs> let's get on with that. Yay. Thank you ever so much. Okay. Bye. 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 Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to continue the conversation. Come find us on Instagram. Andrea's at farm and hearth and Alison's at ancestral underscore kitchen. Until next time, we both wish you much fun, exploration and satisfaction in and out of the kitchen. Thank you.